The libs indicted Trump again, four more times to be precise, all over January 6th, the worst day in the history of this or any republic. Now, given the number of times that they've done this already and are sure to do it again in the future, this would not even be a headline news story, save for the unfortunate fact that this case is being tried in Washington, D.C., a town far less favorable to Trump than Florida, where the last charges are scheduled to be tried. The other thing that makes this trial a little bit more newsworthy than the usual Democrat attacks against Trump is that one of the punishments for the charges in this case is death. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and 30 bucks off your order with code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Go to goodranchers.com, use code Knowles today. I want to get to the only story that I actually want to talk about today, which is that Barbie is great. I saw the Barbie movie yesterday. Ben is completely wrong. A lot of a lot of conservatives, mostly who haven't seen the movie, are wrong to think it's terrible and woke. The movie is splitting the right. I've noticed that a lot of the conservative, traditional, kind of hardcore right-wingers really like Barbie, and a lot of the, I don't know, more libertarian or center-right-minded people don't like Barbie. Uh, we'll get into, not even the politics of it, we'll just get into why Greta Gerwig is a genius director. Then we'll get into some other stories too. We also have a lawyer for President Trump who I think is going to call in to, to just lay out some of the charges in this case. This really dropped out of nowhere yesterday. We'll get to that. One of the potential punishments here is death. They want to kill him. It's not just they want to undermine his campaign in 2016 and spy on him and tap Trump Tower. It's not just they want to impeach him over some nonsense. It's not even just they want to get him to drop out of the presidential race or they want to even put him behind bars. They want to kill him. They want him dead. They would dance in the streets if this man died and they would gleefully kill him. Uh, This, according to 18 U.S. Code, Section 241, one of the charges here is conspiracy against rights and includes a penalty of up to 10 years in federal prison. But it says this, if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or any attempt to kill, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. So you might say, well, look, it's just one potential uh, punishment involved in just one of the charges here. And it's only if anyone dies, if death results from these acts committed. But the liberals have been arguing since day one that Trump is responsible for death on January 6th. And the way that they made that argument is first, they just lied. And they said that police officers died because the pro-Trump mob killed them on January 6th. That is a complete lie. It never happened. Uh, the, The newspapers had to correct the story. There is one death that did occur, though. Ironically, the only death from political violence on January 6th was the death of a Trump supporter killed by a trigger-happy cop at the Capitol. Nevertheless, you read 18 U.S.C. Section 241, you say, well, all right, death did result 
from the acts allegedly committed by Trump here. Again, the notion that he, he committed these acts is absolutely laughable, but they've made it this far, guys. They impeached him twice, but they impeached him over this. They are bringing, so far, what, three separate indictments, three separate batches of indictments against him. They're going to have a lot more to come. And they want to kill him. They want to kill him. They mean business. This is, forget about Trump for a second. This is the payoff of the media constantly lying. Sometimes people ask, why, why are the media constantly telling these small lies about people? They did it to me earlier this year. Remember, I went to CPAC. I said that for the good of society, especially for the good of the poor people who've fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely, the whole ideology at every level. Could not have been clearer what I was talking about. They accused me of genocide. They libeled me. They, they actually had to change the headlines, I think, because their lawyers called them. But why tell a lie like that? What's the, what's the end goal of that? The purpose of telling these small lies, Trump incited people to violence, Trump killed people, whatever, whatever nonsense, it's so obvious, is so that they get the payoff later on. Later on, when they're building this whole case and it's just faded into memory, what happened on January 6th? Oh, I heard, I heard there was a lot of violence. I heard the pro-Trump people killed people. Okay, that's fine. It justifies it. This is why President Trump is using this campaign line, uh, which is, I, I think, one of his most effective ones. He says, look, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. They're not indicting me. They're indicting you. You know, they're not indicting me. They're indicting you. I just happen to be standing in their way. That's all it is. But what you're witnessing... Thank you. What you're witnessing is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. This is prosecutorial misconduct, and its primary purpose is to steal another election. They're all in a very coordinated attack, trying to take away our election of 2024. They rigged the presidential election of 2020. We're not going to allow them to rig the presidential election of 2024. It's a great line. He's tested this out before, and it's true. Even if you hate the guy, I think you have to recognize the line is true. Why are they going after Trump? Is it because he kept classified documents? No. We know it's not that because lots of other politicians in both parties, and especially the Democrats, have done that. DOJ doesn't go after them. Is it because he incited people to riot? Even let's say you think he did that. It's obviously not for that. The Democrats have openly called for violence against Republicans for years now. Maxine Waters, go to their homes where their children sleep, push back on them. Hillary Clinton, don't be civil with Republicans. Eric Holder, the list goes on and on and on. And then the Democrats actually did it for eight months straight. They burned the, the country down, sea to shining sea. So it's not that. What is it? Is it because he, what are the other stupid charges against him? Oh, they said that he, he manhandled a woman in a Bergdorf Goodman's, which was completely preposterous. Uh, really? You want to bring that up? We're talking about the Democratic Party of, of uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Menendez and actually Joe Biden, if we're talking about these kinds of allegations. No, I don't think so. What is it? Is it because he made uh, an in-kind contribution to his own campaign, allegedly through this porn star payoff, whatever. Are you kidding me? You want to talk about dodgy campaign contributions? The, Democrat, the Democrats are going to accuse us of that? 
pot calling the kettle black? No, it's just not, it's none of those things. It's because Donald Trump represents a populist, conservative, traditional, nationalist strain on the American right. It's a strain that the libs thought they had neutered for about 50 years, and they hadn't. It came back again, and they're going to throw everything at him. They're not indicting him. They're indicting you. You might even think that he's a, a deeply imperfect representative of you. You might not even like the guy. He represents you in the mind of the liberals. Okay, we've got an attorney for the president on the line to help explain this indictment very, very quickly. Uh, Jared Roberts of Binal Law Group, uh, who is a zealous litigator, I hope extremely zealous, so that he can uh, win this case. Jared, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. Uh, just to clarify, uh, not not litigating, uh, not an attorney of in this case specifically. I'm representing the president in other cases currently, but do have some insight to share well, this, for this one. This case just cropped up about 12 hours ago, so I'm sure uh, the dust is still settling on this. Uh, what's going on in this case? And what's and and broadly, what's going on with the Trump's defense against the seven billion indictments that are coming down before 2024? So you were just talking about why they're bringing these indictments. How I view it is the president, uh, President Trump is looking great in polling in recent polls and that the left is honestly terrified that they're going to lose to him again and that they're going to lose power because they know what's going to happen when President Trump gets back into office, that they're all going to lose their jobs. And so now they're in full panic mode. And you look at the charges that were brought against President Trump yesterday and they're really just preposterous charges. I mean, a lot of them involve the First Amendment, first of all, covers the majority of what President Trump did on January 6th. The president had a right to petition the government that's within the First Amendment. So to charge the president with a civil rights charge for using his First Amendment, I mean, that opens up the statue into a point where a court could even find that down the road to be unconstitutionally vague. The same can be said with the charge regarding interference with an official proceeding. All he did was engage in an election contest as a candidate and as a president and saying that that's a crime. I mean, this is a statute that the DOJ loves to use all the time. And now this could really hamper the DOJ's efforts elsewhere if this statute becomes so broad that a court rules it unconstitutional. So, I mean, what we're seeing here is Jack Smith is desperate and he's really trying to stretch the law to create something when there's nothing there. So of all the legal threats, I agree. In my untutored view, looking at this indictment, this one seems particularly weak, at least legally, though politically it seems a bit stronger because unlike the documents case, which is being tried in Florida, a generally friendlier state with a friendlier judge, this is being tried in DC, a less friendly district with a much less friendly judge. So politically, I guess it could be kind of risky, even if the charges are flimsy. Of all the charges that Trump is looking at, past, present, and future, uh, what do you think if any, pose uh, a significant threat to the campaign or to the man's freedom? I've reviewed all the charges, analyzed them, and I mean, there's nothing there for any of them. Obviously, the most risky one is going to D.C. Uh, Tanya Chukin is not the greatest drawing that the president could have gotten as a judge. Uh, she's a former colleague of Hunter Biden, actually. And not a good sign. No. So it's not, I mean, although these are the weakest charges that are brought, they're all weak, but these charges especially are preposterous. This is a very unfavorable jurisdiction and there's 
a reason that Jack Smith is pulling President Trump out of his home district into D.C. because he's looking for an easy win and he's really willing to stretch the rule of law no matter the cost. Do you, looking down the pike now before 2024, you've got the documents case scheduled for May 20th, I think it is. You've got this new case coming up. Uh, How many of these are actually going to go to trial before the election? I can't tell you the answer to that. Um, We're currently involved in uh, majority civil litigation. However, I can tell you that uh, Judge Chuckin especially is going to want to move this case along very quickly. However, there's going to be a lot of motions practice and things are going to be drawn out. I mean, President Trump has great lawyers that will be representing him in D.C. And one motion that I think will be interesting that could be brought is under uh, the impeachment judgment clause. President Trump was already acquitted for these charges. Mm. And what I think that a motion under this uh, would definitely be beneficial, whether or not Judge Chuck and honors it or not, that's a different story. But it's important to remember that President Trump has already been acquitted. So that's a, that's a really interesting point. So you're saying, just as for any ordinary citizen, you can't be tried twice for the same thing. If you're tried and you're acquitted, they can't just bring you to trial again for the exact same charges. What you're saying is, we already had a trial here. It was called the impeachment trial, and Trump was acquitted. He wasn't convicted. And so, okay, bye. You know, this, this is over. In theory, I think that can be the case. Yeah, I mean, the Constitution lays out the if Congress views the president exceeded his duties and went outside of that, the re- only remedy against the president is the is impeachment. They went through that process. President Trump was acquitted, and right. now to bring him again on these new charges is absurd. All right, uh, that's that's a little glimmer of hope there, uh, Jared. I have to let you go there. Thank you so much for making the time to hop on. We will uh, probably have to have you back as, as these uh, indictments just keep rolling in, it seems, by the week. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. All right. Now, speaking of good news, that's a little bit of glimmer of hope. And I've got some good news for a good meal that can come to you from Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. You know I love anything made with top-of-the-line quality. For meat, that's Good Ranchers. The only thing missing from Good Ranchers, I was saying this to sweet little Elisa about a month ago, was a pork box. Was, because if you ask, they deliver. Good Ranchers has just launched their prime pork, 100% American pork that is steakhouse quality. This new pork box comes with bone-in and boneless pork chops, sausage, smoked brats, and more. Plus, right now, you will get 30 bucks off with my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at GoodRanchers.com. On their site, you can explore their all-American cuts of prime pork, prime beef, better than organic chicken options. I eat Good Ranchers constantly. I just love it. It, it, The quality is out of this world. I especially love the ribeyes. I was never a huge ribeye guy. Their ribeye, one of the best I've ever had. Their burgers, I've had a billion burgers in my life. Probably the best hamburgers I've ever had in my entire life. The quality is just out of this world. The prices cannot be beat. And right now, if you go to GoodRanchers.com, use code Knowles, you will get 30 bucks off any box. Promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, GoodRanchers.com, GoodRanchers.com, American meat delivered. Now, I want to talk about something that actually matters. Forget about the presidential race, the political order, the direction of our country. I saw Barbie yesterday. They asked me to see Barbie. The Daily Wire asked me to see Barbie because Ben talked about it and Ben's 
very harsh critique of Barbie, made national news. And so before the backstage show last night, which is where I gave most of my view on Barbie, I won't belabor it too much now. Uh, they said, okay, see it and see if you agree with Ben or if you disagree with Ben, because it's probably going to come up on the show. I said, okay, meet sweet little Elisa. We go watch the movie. I intentionally did not watch or read any reviews before the movie. I saw that Ben hated it. So I saw the little clip of him throwing the Barbies and setting them on fire <laughs> in the trash can. I saw that some other people hated it, and I saw that some other people liked it. And I noticed, without reading any reviews or watching any reviews, I saw that some people and some social media accounts that I really like and admire liked Barbie. One of my favorite all-time Twitter accounts, Edmund Smirk. Uh, Eudaimonia, very, very sharp fella. Eudaimonia's girlfriend, Shuan Head, who's a leftist, but she has interesting takes. I noticed they all kind of liked it. I noticed that my friend Brett Cooper here liked it. But then a number of my other buddies on the right, up to and including Ben Shapiro, they hated Barbie. So I wanted to go in with a totally fresh slate, not colored by anyone else's views. Hadn't even really, maybe I watched the trailer. I don't even really remember watching the trailer. And I go in. It's great. It's great. I was primed to like it because, one, uh, it's always fun to disagree with Ben, but, uh, you know, sometimes Ben and I agree. And two, because Greta Gerwig did a great job with Lady Bird, her movie that came out in 2017, I thought was really, really excellent. So I already had this sense that Greta Gerwig is not some just crazy radical who gets everything wrong. Lady Bird was a very conservative movie. And so I, I watched it. Guys, from the very beginning, it's not even particularly ambiguous that Barbie is a conservative movie. The, the short version of it is, it opens up with this, this homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it sees little girls playing with their baby dolls, and they're having a nice time. Then Barbie comes in as this icon of feminist progress, and the girls start killing their babies, which, if that doesn't sum up feminism, I don't know what does. Then they go into Barbie land, which is a feminist utopia. And they show all the different types of Barbies, Dr. Barbie, President Barbie, this Barbie, that Barbie. Then they get to pregnant Barbie. And the narrator comes in and says, oh yeah, that one was discontinued. We can't have pregnant Barbie here in Barbie land. But you know, you, a woman can be anything, but she can't be pregnant. Already, that's a very strongly, two very strongly anti-feminist moments. Clearly intentional, clearly very precise. Then you go on through Barbie land. Everything's fine. It's all about Barbie. All the men are just simps. All the Kens are just kind of simp cocks who just do whatever Barbie wants and they have no identity outside of Barbie. And then, then th something starts to crack. Barbie becomes dissatisfied with this eternal present. Barbie starts to wonder about death. Says, wait, am I ever going to die? What's time? What's progress? What's love? What's consciousness? She becomes self-conscious. And then this guru feminist Barbie, weirdo Barbie, this is all spoiler alerts, by the way. So if you, if you do want to watch the movie, maybe skip a few seconds here. Uh, guru feminist Barbie comes in and says, Okay, you can choose the red pill or the blue pill. You can choose either the, the high heels, pretty high heels, or you can choose Birkenstocks, you know, of, of reality. And, and so Barbie says, okay, I want the pretty high heels. I want the blue pill. And this is really significant, I think. Feminist Barbie goes, oh, no, I was presenting you with the illusion of a choice, but you don't really have a choice. You have to do the gritty, awful, terrible, you know, Birkenstock thing. Which is reminiscent, I think, of Simone de Beauvoir, the French feminist, who in a debate with Betty Friedan once said, we can't give women a real choice. 
Yeah, we can sort of, we pretend that women have a choice to either stay at home or go out to the workplace, but they can't really have that choice. Because if women have the choice to stay home and live a traditional life, too many of them are going to choose family and children and husbands. So they have to basically be forced out into the workplace. And that's what you see in Barbie land. So then Barbie goes into the real world and Ken goes with her. And Ken says, wow, the real world is a patriarchy. Oh man, this is great. And this is where uh, Ken joins the manosphere, which we'll get to in one second. First though, talking about restoring balance to the sexes, to our political order, you need to restore balance to your body with balance of nature. Right now, go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Knowles. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure you are getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Through balance of nature's advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and veggies are preserved so that you can get that vital nutrition in each capsule. Balance of Nature is a whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. Pure fruits and veggies are the only things they put in their capsules. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for our team to try. And these jackals, these absolute hyenas, rip them all apart before I can even have the opportunity to get mine. It's my only complaint about the whole thing. Make sure you go right now for a limited time this summer to Balance of Nature. When you become a preferred customer, they are throwing in a free fruit and veggies travel set and giving an additional 25 bucks off your first order. Go to balanceofnature.com, promo code Knowles, Canada WLES, for a free travel set and 25 bucks off your first order as a preferred customer. That is balanceofnature.com, promo code Knowles. Barbie and Ken go into the real world. And they see that the real world is not controlled by all these feminist girl bosses. The real world is controlled by men. The people in the C-suites, in the really public positions of power, they're all men. Now, that's not the end of the story. Because what one begins to notice is the, the people who are actually driving the narrative of this movie forward, it's not the men. The men are kind of goofy. It's these women in private little actions. A, a woman who's drawing a Barbie, a woman who's having thoughts about Barbie, is actually the one who's changing the world and driving the whole plot forward. And then we find out by the end that the, the woman who invented Barbie, or that the person rather who invented Barbie is a woman, this woman played by Rhea Perlman, and she has a very significant line here. When Barbie finds her and says, hey, wait, women work? at this Mattel company too? Women? Women work in this real world too? Rhea Perlman's character, this godlike creator character who, who built Barbie, she leans in, she says, women do more than work here. Women do more than work. Feminism tells you that a woman going out and working and having a job is the only thing that matters. It's the most important thing. The conservatives will tell you, what are you talking about? Going out and having a job, it's fine. But there's so, so much more important there are so many more important things in life. Having children, having a family, being the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. That line, very hard to see how that line is not intentional. Anyway, Ken gets radicalized. He says, wait a second. In this real world, it's the men who call the shots, not the women. So they go back and Ken becomes this uh, manosphere kind of guy. You know, he has the, the, the Kaza, Kaza, Bunga, I forget what he calls it, but it's kind of a funny name for the Ken house now. And in the Kendom, he dresses up in this really peacocking way, but he doesn't know how to be a real man. And this, I'll skip over some stuff in the middle. Uh, I, I wish I could go on for hours about Barbie, but we don't have time for it. Uh, by the end, 
Ken realizes, no, I just, Barbie, all I want is you. Even when I'm peacocking and bragging, all I really want, I just feel like I'm only built for you and I'm just here to serve you and I have no identity outside of you. And Barbie doesn't choose Ken. This is one of the reasons why the conservatives have been saying this is a woke movie. Because Barbie and Ken should end up together, right? No, no. Barbie land is a feminist utopia. It seems in theory kind of nice, I guess. It's really just a fantasy for little children, but it's not. Something's deeply wrong here. Ken is a product of feminism. And so when Barbie says, hey, Ken, you've got to, before, before you just try to throw yourself at me and we get married or whatever, you need to figure out who you are. Because Ken is not the big alpha giga chad traditional man leading his family. He's a product of feminism. He's kind of a simp. He's kind of a cuck. He doesn't, he's not the kind of man that a woman actually wants to marry. So when, when she says, you've got to figure out who you are, th- this is a message for boys who are raised in this feminist world that unfortunately we live in. It, it's, it's not a knock on the boys. This is how they were raised, but they've got to figure out how to be a man, not just going, going along to get along with the feminist world and not just reacting against it in some childish way that doesn't actually build them up as proper men. You've got to figure out how to be a man in the real sense of things. So then Barbie chooses to leave. This is another example. It, the, a lot of the conservatives seem to think that Barbie land is considered the good place and the real world is considered the bad place. Barbie land, feminist, good, real world, patriarchy, bad. Barbie chooses the real world. The Barbie land is, is the bad place. The Barbie land, it, that's why there are all these jokes about patriarchy. She says the word patriarchy like a dozen times in there. That's a joke. That's a punchline. We know it's a punchline because the Rhea Perlman creator character at the end admits at the end of the movie, she says, oh yeah, people, in order to cope with the ambigu- ambiguous nature of this fallen world, you know, and in order to cope with the craziness of this world, we just make things up. We make things up like Barbie. We make things up like patriarchy. Does this mean we make things up like the actual structure of the patriarchy that controls everything, or we make things up like the concept of the patriarchy, just like the concept of Barbie? I think it's the latter. And Greta Gerwig in interviews has said, everything in this movie is intended to operate on two levels. The movie has clear Christian imagery. I mean, she has admitted that herself. Greta Gerwig has said in interviews, a lot of this comes from her Catholic school upbringing. Even though I don't think Greta Gerwig is a practicing Catholic, that's how she was educated. You see it throughout all of her movies. And then, to to me, the, the part where Greta Gerwig really shows her hand is at the very end of the movie, after she admits the patriarchy, yeah, it's just, that's like a fake make-believe concept to cope with the difficulties of the world. Barbie's happy vision of the future, which is why she chooses reality, which is supposedly a patriarchy, is not being a girl boss and going to work at some widget factory. It's motherhood. It's family. Even the, the mother and daughter in the, in the real world, which is a driving theme in the film, it's not even just like a single mother who's angry at the world. She's married. It's, she's in a kind of traditional relationship, even though her husband in the real world, is kind of a Ken. He's, he's, been, he's been castrated by the feminist culture as well. So there's a problem to work out there in the real world. And the things that women complain about in the real world and in Barbie land, they're, they're complaints about what feminism has done, not about what tradition has done. We're expected to be girl bosses. We're expected to have jobs. The final scene Barbie walks in, you think it's going to be the apotheosis of the whole feminist journey in the movie and she's going to go get her job in the real world? No. They say, what are you here for, ma'am? She goes, I'm here to see my gynecologist, which is a surface level joke about how Barbie dolls don't have genitalia. It's a deeper 
joke, which ties in with the entire thesis of the movie and every theme from the very first shot of the movie, which is, oh no, what really matters here? Motherhood. One of the lines, one of the key lines from this exasperated real world woman talking in Barbie land, she says, I, I want a Barbie. I don't want a Barbie that's the president. I don't want a Barbie that's the, a doctor. I don't want to, I want a Barbie that says it's okay just to be a mom. That's, that's one of the realizations this woman, ha- woman has during the movie. Gerwig is great. Now, I know some people are saying, Michael, you're reading too deeply into this. First of all, Greta Gerwig literally says in interviews, hey, you should realize there, there is a double meaning here to the movie, as there was in Lady Bird. But first, but I guess my other answer to that is, what do you, th- what do you think is more likely? That Greta Gerwig just accidentally fills all of her movies with these very precise, deeply meaningful points from beginning to end of all of her movies, or that she's doing it intentionally, or at least artistically. It's not just an accident. It's not just, oh yeah, you're reading a little too much into every single moment of her movie that's coherent. The, the, the argument against Barbie to say it's so super woke, the best argument people can muster is, oh, it's an incoherent movie. I don't think it's incoherent. I think it's extremely coherent. I've explained a little bit of how coherent it is. Uh, what's more likely? Seems to me, also it's just a nice piece of filmmaking because it's fun and you know the performances are good and they're singing and dancing and it's very colorful. It's a good movie, guys. It's a good movie. Really, I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to remain a heterosexual married man with children if I talk about Barbie for even one second longer. But I left the movie more optimistic about the culture. There are a lot of people out here. Drew made this point last night at Backstage. There are a lot of young women who wouldn't call themselves traditionally conservative or Christian or right-wing or whatever, who are waking up and recognizing, man, feminism is really bad. People who in recent years would have called themselves left-wing feminists, liberals, whatever, who are turning against birth control, who are turning against the hookup culture, who want to get married, who want to have children, who want to do normal things. I think this would be a sign of those times. Speaking of feminism, while people are turning against feminism, the liberal media are embracing it all the more. Washington Post has just run a story about this tragedy of a teen couple, woman gets pregnant, and they're not able to abort the kids, not able to kill the children. So the Washington Post runs a story not just on the couple now facing this dilemma. But years later, say an abortion ban made them teen parents. This is life two years later. And it goes on to a very lengthy piece written by Carolyn Kitchener. And this, this story talks about how this, this 19-year-old has twin daughters and, you know, she wasn't, this girl wasn't ready to start a family and she and her now husband are trying to work it out, and, but it's really hard. And because the, the nearest abortion clinic was 13 hours away, they didn't kill the babies because Roe v. Wade was overruled. And so now, uh, now she's got these kids. The tone of the story though, it seems to me, is that this is a bad thing. Oh no, they can't worry. They're having a tough tough go of it, and the husband and wife don't really get along very well, and now they got these two kids they've got to deal with. This is pretty ghoulish stuff. I think the effect of the story is to be pro-life. 
because I think normal people reading this story are going to say, whoa, whoa, hold on, Washington Post, are you lamenting that these cute little two-year-olds are alive? You're complaining about that? What kind of stone-cold psychos are you? But I don't know. I think at least the editors who greenlit this actually were sincerely making that point. Oh, look at this tragedy. This is the consequence of overruling Roe v. Wade. These cute little girls have to live. And now their parents have to take care of them when they could have just murdered them. Isn't that a tragedy? Normal people are convinced of baby's humanity when they see it. This is why if a woman is considering abortion and she goes in and has an ultrasound, she is overwhelmingly likely to keep the baby, not to kill the baby. She doesn't have an ultrasound. It's anybody's game. But if she sees the ultrasound, this is why a lot of conservative legislation says, okay, if you're going to have an abortion, if we can't outlaw abortion, you at least have to have an ultrasound to see the baby first because that's going to save the baby the vast majority of the time. Normal people, when they see a baby, are convinced of the baby's humanity and know that it's wrong to kill that baby. Some psychos, like serial killers and deeply demented people and journalists, they're not. They're not convinced of the baby's humanity or they just don't care shows you yet again a big chasm, a big gap between the liberal ruling class, the establishment in the government and the academia and the media and the people. Big, big difference here. And I think once again, accidentally, when normal people see this thing, they're going to have the, they're going to draw the opposite conclusion that the media want us to draw. Now, speaking of liberals mistreating children, there is some positive news from the Biden front which we'll get to in one second. First, though, the libs believe that good intentions absolve them of bad behavior. This type of thinking is quite hypocritical, of course, and wrong, uh, but being a good person requires more effort than just trying to signal your own virtue. That is for sure. You got to be self-aware, for starters. There are more attributes you need to cultivate. Many of them you probably haven't thought about. That's why you got to watch the final episode of PragerU's Master's Program streaming on Daily Wire Plus. In PragerU's master's program, Dennis Prager has gathered 40 years worth of wisdom. He's sharing it on a wide number of subjects. How to be a good person is this week's episode. Dennis also covers the differences between men and women, the consequences of secularism, and much more. Remember, the world wants to make you woke. Dennis Prager wants to make you wise. PragerU's master's program does just that. All episodes are now available. Do not wait. Go to dailywireplus.com to become a member and watch PragerU's master's program today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Abraham Cardenas, 13. Says, Libs, don't vote for Trump. He'll get us into World War III. Five years later, we must get into World War III to save a country that I can't make out on a map. So, so true. You have liberals and squishes on the right saying that we need to do what we managed to avoid for the entirety of the Cold War. We need to enter into a hot, direct conflict with a nuclear former superpower over a thousand-year geopolitical conflict of a place in Eastern Europe that the vast majority of these people couldn't point to on a map. That's what we're hearing. It was amazing how right after that Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, how many Eastern European foreign policy experts there were on the liberal left. It was just amazing how quickly that, I thought you had to study things. To, no. Just overnight, 
overnight. Really, really good point. And now getting back to liberals mistreating children. Joe Biden has finally acknowledged his granddaughter that he has been refusing to accept for four years now. Uh, Joe Biden has very officiously, intentionally left his seventh grandchild out of any acknowledgement at the White House, in public comments. But he issued a statement on a Friday night because presumably this was polling really terribly. And he said, okay, we're going to start acknowledging our granddaughter now. And he's now sat down on a podcast and said as much in person. I have uh, seven grandkids, uh, four of them old, five of them old enough to talk on the phone. You know, every day I either text them or call them. So it used to be, I've got six grandkids until like a week ago. I've been, I've had six grandkids. I talk to them every day. Now it's, I have seven grandkids, five of them old enough to talk on the phone. This is a way to say, I don't talk to my seventh grandchild. I, I wouldn't even acknowledge her until a week ago. But yeah, now I'm acknowledging her. Why? Because the liberals are finally turning on this. It was polling terribly. Maureen Dowd at the New York Times came out and said, you seem heartless, Joe Biden. You have to acknowledge this granddaughter. And then a couple weeks later, he finally acknowledges her. Uh, totally cynical, t- totally transparent. I guess good for the little girl, at least, that her grandfather isn't being, he, he was at least bullied into not being such a deadbeat, cruel degenerate. But it's really, really a little, a little late, better late than never, I guess. In any case, speaking of Joe Biden, Trump and Biden are tied nationally right now. Uh, there's a new, new poll out. This is by New York Times, Siena College, so you can't call it a conservative poll. Trump, Biden, 43-43. Uh, what's the breakdown? The breakdown is much more interesting than the top-line national numbers. Trump is leading among white voters by 10 points. It's a decent lead. Biden is leading among black voters by 59 points. Biden is leading among Hispanic voters by three points. So the, the other interesting aspect when we break this down is that Trump has more support among his base than Biden has among his. Trump, in a huge field with 10 candidates, has more support in the GOP than Joe Biden, who is the incumbent and theoretically should be running unopposed. He's got Bobby Kennedy's running against him. Then Biden has as an incumbent among his base. Really, really pathetic for Biden and really bad news for the other GOP candidates. Trump in this contested race has more of a lock on his party than Biden does in practically speaking an uncontested race. Uh, That's a terrible signal for the other Republicans in the race. But What is the message broadly for the GOP here? The message for the GOP is that the GOP needs to focus on driving the white vote. Trump's got a 10-point lead. Uh, Okay, that's fine. He's got to increase that lead. Joe Biden has a 59-point lead among black voters, and black voters make up a much, much smaller percentage of the electorate than white voters do. So any one or two-point gain among among white voters is going to, would be worth five times that among black voters. And the GOP, I know we want to focus on the black vote because the Democrats constantly disingenuously accuse us of being racist or whatever. And I'd love it if all the black voters came out to the GOP. That would be totally wonderful. But as a matter of resources and effort, it's just a pure numbers game. It is much smarter for the GOP to focus on, on increasing Trump's lead among the white vote and the Hispanic vote too. Don't forget. Uh, 12, 13% of the population is black. 20% of the American population 
is Hispanic. 60% is white. So you're going to get your highest returns by focusing on the white vote, your second highest returns focusing on the Hispanic vote, which is much more competitive, much more winnable for the GOP. And then it'd be great to win over all the black voters, but the vast majority have not come over yet. And we've got limited resources, limited time. Focus on the whites and Hispanics if you want to increase your likelihood of winning the race. Speaking of white people and black people, some troubling news out of South Africa. A member of parliament in South Africa, leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters Party, Julius Malema, uh, took to a rally on Saturday and called explicitly for the murder of whites in the country. This is a a full stadium. Totally packed with people. Kill the boa. Kill the boa. Boa is a descendant of the, the white Dutch who settled in South Africa. Kill the boa. Kill the farmer. Kill the white farmers. So this is troubling, and you probably haven't heard about this story because it's being shut up in the media. Elon Musk is trying to call attention to it because he's South African. A great African-American leader, Elon Musk. Uh, Elon said they're openly pushing for genocide of white people in South Africa. Cyril Ramaphosa, who's the leader of South Africa, why do you say nothing? Why is the leader of South Africa, successor to Mandela, supposed to be so peaceful and wonderful and kumbaya uniting everybody? He's saying nothing while a member of parliament in South Africa is calling for the genocide of whites for being white. And the media are basically saying nothing too. Why? Because it's politically incorrect even to mention this. You're not, you're not allowed, even if a sitting politician, sitting office holder comes out and says, we want to murder all the white people, genocide all the whites. If you, especially if you're a white person, if you call any attention to that, you're the one who's transgressed. That's a little politically incorrect. You might be a little bit racist if you say that the white people shouldn't be genocided. Mm, let's just not touch it. Mm, it's a little, ugh, it's a little awkward. President of South Africa is not going to mention it the media where they're not going to talk about it. So reviled are white people by the political establishment that even when prominent politicians in office say, kill whitey, murder them all, you can't, don't, let's not, let's just let them do it. Let's just, you know, actually, didn't those farmers have it coming to them? You know, the descendants of the Dutch who settled there hundreds of years ago, didn't, they're kind of, I think they have it coming. So we've talked about whites, we've talked about blacks, we've talked about Hispanics. We should talk about the Japanese. This will be my little tease. You know, I'm such a tease. I have, uh, th- there's a guy, there's a Japanese guy, who just spent $14,000 to dress up as a border collie. He got a really nice lassie costume. This is not, if you think of, there's a sexual fetish called furry, furryism, where you dress up like anthropomorphic animals. This isn't that. This guy looks like lassie. It's I mean, he doesn't really look like Lassie. You can still tell he's a dude in a dog suit. You can still sell him off. But it's a very good costume. You can see why he would spend $14,000 for this if this were his kink. Uh, in any case, I guess we're going to have to hold off and get to it tomorrow. There's much to be said about this in our culture of transition. There's much to be said for those trans canines. And we'll get to that Tomorrow, the rest of the show continues now. It's Woke Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-A-S, at checkout for two months free on all 
annual plans.